0: Good morning. This is my pastor Evan Lookalike routine. Thought I tried the table today. It seemed like just a few weeks, just yesterday that I started out with Joshua one, after Evan started out the series, and now here we are in chapter twenty four, the end. So I kind of have the bookends, if you will. And before I get to the scripture. I need some help with a scientific study because there doesn't seem to be any real information on the issue. And that is, how many decisions or choices do you think you make a day? Now, what I've seen often quoted is 35,000. Does that sound reasonable? No? <laughs> That's, there you go. See, there are no studies that tell you what exactly it is. So if you saw the Friday updates, I had some questions on there, and they're going to be in a little bit different order today. But, so the first one I had asked was, um, what kinds of decisions did you make today before getting to church? So, and there's the question. And, and this is a little bit of audience participation, some things I'm going to ask you to, if you would participate if you want to, or you don't have to. So if you're willing to share, what kind of decisions did you make this morning before you got here we're all thankful for that yes brush your teeth (laughs) Should should I hit the snooze yes anybody what shoes should you wear very important okay what else anybody from back there what to have for breakfast or maybe not to have for breakfast maybe you don't eat breakfast anybody else I'm sorry, give the glory and all to God and His Son. Amen. So he started out with praising God. That was his decision. That was how he wanted to start his day. Very good thing to do. Anybody else? Don't want to leave anybody out. All right, here's some of the things I thought of. And some of you already uh, said that. Um, What to have for breakfast? What am I going to wear? And for some of you, your spouse might have said, are you really going to wear that to church today? Um... What route I should come to church? You know How I should drive to church maybe? I don't know, that was when I thought. What, ch- what time should I leave to be on time? And then the really important question was, do I really wanna to go to church today? Should I go to church today? Should I be online? Should I just hit the snooze button? <laughs> or should I come? There are a lot of decisions that we make every day. Now some decisions, We don't have any control over and thankfully so. So, in the back of your brain, my understanding, your autonomic functions tell you to breathe and tell your heart to beat. You don't really have to make a decision about that, which is really good because that would probably take up all my time, right? So it's a good thing my brain works on automatic. Now, the next question I have is, on all the choices that we make who and or what do you find most helpful when making those choices once again anybody have any thought about that experience. i'm sorry experience experience okay yes that's very helpful anybody google. what google. oh google I I thought it was Siri knew everything, but it's really Google, you know, and they probably know more than they need to. Okay, so Google might help me make a decision. Um, Anything else? You ever just randomly ask somebody at the coffee shop, hey, what do you think of this? Family and friends. Family and friends? Okay. Prayer. Prayer. Yes, prayer. The environment. Did you say, In the environment that you live in. Okay. So sometimes we get help from making, from making our choices, and sometimes we just make them on our own. Now, the next question, I'm not going to ask for any audience participation, but I just want you to think about it. Have you ever made a decision you regretted? And if so, have you thought about what you could have done differently? I personally have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, After today, I may regret still speaking, I don't know. (laughs) But think about that. There are some decisions we probably have regretted, but the question is, what have you learned from it, and how would you do it differently? So think about that one. And the next one I'd like for you to think about is, have you ever made a choice that was unpopular to many, but was the right thing to do, and would you do it again? Have there been instances? So you might think about that. So we're going to go ahead and read our scripture today. It's going to be in Joshua chapter 24. And we're going to read verses 14 through 28. So if you would like to follow along, however you do that, I I like reading it here, but I also have it on here. So it really doesn't matter as long as you're reading it. And what I like about this is there's just a lot of different versions I can look up. And it's really easier to carry, but, but there is something about just reading it out of this. So let me find that. Joshua chapter 24. Starting with verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt And serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, lest you deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. Our scripture today really is about choices, and we have a lot of them to make every day. There's some very important ones that we need to consider. And um, that's what I want to talk about today. I kind of have a, three, a three-step thought process into what I, I call making courageous choices. The first one I'd like you to consider is, what do I truly believe about God? Joshua spends a good deal of time discussing idols. Idols. Now, we don't really see idols too much, so let's talk about that. First of all, let's have a working definition of idolatry. And I'm going to quote to you from Dr. Tony Evans. I, I, really, like, I really like Tony. He, he has a very good definition of idolatry, and here's what he says it is. Idolatry is any person, place, thing, or thought that we look to as, a, as our source, it is anything in God's kingdom that competes with God himself so it's anything in God's kingdom that competes with God himself if you look at the ten commandments and let's turn to that Exodus chapter 20 and we'll read verses 1 through 6 then God spoke, to all these, spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what it is in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So it's really important for us to understand the historical context of what idols were back in those days. The people of the land of which they had taken over had three major idols, and I'm just going to mention one, and that is Moloch. And the practice Worshipping Moloch was to roll your children into the fire as a sacrifice, and Leviticus eighteen twenty-one clearly God has said that is something we are not to do. And which He also said in Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-five, He had never ever thought of such a thing ever to be done in worshiping Him. It's a terrible practice. We don't see a lot of, I don't know, do you see a lot of wooden carvened images or whatever of idols that people pray to in America? I'm sure there's somewhere, but do you really see any of that anymore? No. But what other kind of idols could we have? Here's some things that I thought of that might take the place of God in our lives. Some of these I I can identify with. The car that I drive. Celebrities, such as athletes, movie stars, and singers, and we talked a little bit about that in Sunday School last week. We idolize them. My job t- title or what I do for a living. How much money I make. Could be myself, my family, power and prestige. How about my own definition of who God is because it allows me to do whatever I want regardless of what the Bible might say. And maybe even the Bible itself called legalism, which Mark mentioned last week. And that's worshiping the words themselves that are in this and not really the creator of those words because it's more about being right than it is having a relationship with God. So these are just some of them that, that I thought of. But all of those could get in the way of who I think God is and from keeping him first in my life. It's easy to get our focus on something else or on someone else because, you know, life is very busy. And so we sometimes forget that God is number one. I really like what was said. The first thing I do in the morning is I praise God. And that helps you get a perspective of keeping God first. You know, the enemy, Satan, is working hard to make sure that we're not focused on, it, on God, that we're always focused on something else. And so spiritual battle is very much real. Joshua exhorts the people to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and to put away idols some of the key words he talks about is fear of the Lord which really means to have awe and respect to worship in sincerity is to mean, means to worship him completely to worship in truth means lasting faithfulness it says that he is a holy God that means he's sacred and he's separate from humanity and sinless a lot of people get stuck on, well, he's a jealous God. Well, that doesn't sound too good. But what he's jealous about is he's zealous about devotion to him because he knows of the destruction that happens when we don't really follow his word. That sounds very loving to me. I see a lot of kids here, and I'm a parent too. Isn't that what we do as parents? To get them into the right direction? That's what we're supposed to do supposed to be zealous about them and and be uh, taking care of them so the first step in making a courageous choice is putting God first in our lives and this means having a relationship with him and I'd like to ask you do you have a personal relationship with God and if you're serving something or someone other than God I'd like to ask you how that's working for you I know it hasn't worked for me very well The second part I think of um, making a courageous decision is what is it I truly believe about the Bible? I'd like to read you a little excerpt out of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, if I could. Not like I'm giving you a choice, is it? So we're talking about choices? <laughs> the year was 1949. 30-year-old William found himself grappling with uncertainty, not over the existence of God or the divinity of Jesus, but over the fundamental issue of whether he could totally trust what his Bible was telling him. He felt as if he were being stretched on a rack. Pulling him toward God was Henrietta Mears, the bright and compassionate Christian educator who had a thorough understanding of modern scholarship and an abounding confidence in the reliability of the scriptures. Yanking him the other way was William's close companion and preaching colleague, 33-year-old Charles. Now, there was a skeptical Charles, a counterpoint to the faith-filled Henrietta Mears, tugging his friend William away from her repeated assurances that the scriptures are trustworthy. William, you're 50 years out of date, he argued. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. Charles seemed to be winning the tug of war. If I was not exactly doubtful, William would recall, I was certainly disturbed. He knew that if he could not trust the Bible, he could not go on. William searched the scriptures for answers, he prayed, he pondered, and finally, in a heavy-hearted walk in the moonlit San Bernardino Mountains, everything came to a climax. Gripping a Bible, William dropped to his knees and confessed he couldn't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Charles and others were raising. I was trying to be on the level with God, but something remained unspoken, he wrote. At last, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I am going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. Rising from his near knees, tears in his eyes, William said he sensed the power of God as he hadn't felt it for months. Not all my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed, he said. In my heart and mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. History knows what would happen to William in the succeeding years. He would become the most persuasive and effective evangelist of modern times and one of the most admired men in the world. But what would happen to Charles? Decimated by doubts, he resigned from the ministry and moved back to Canada where he became a commentator and novelist and in the end he wrote a scathing book about believing in Christ. Anybody know who William is? William Franklin Graham, Billy Graham and Charles is Charles Templeton. Two different stories. One decided to believe the Bible no matter what Even though he may not understand it all, the other just said, you know, we're just too smart for that. It's not relevant. Have you heard that today? This was back in 1949. This has been going on a long time. If you want to have a relationship with God, the best way to know is you've got to believe in the Bible. And you must read it. Joshua reminded the people about who God was and who God is. God had made all those promises, and then he reminded them about the fulfillment of all the promises that he made. He made that speech before what I just read. Even Jesus in the wilderness believed in the word. What Satan wants to tell you is: well, did God, he'll say, did God, didn't God say? but he won't tell you the whole truth. He'll just kind of twist it a little bit. So, but what was Jesus' response when the temptation came? He said, it is written. And then he would quote from the Bible. So, if Jesus thinks it's real, shouldn't we? And if this book is not real, then why are you here? Why am I up here talking? Because if it's not real, I don't know, which, what parts do you pick and choose? You know, you're going to like one part. I'm going to say, you know, I don't think so. And somebody else is going to go, no, but that, what is going to become an irrelevant book. It is relevant for today. I think of uh, what David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, some of you aren't old enough to know who Chuck Colson is. He's passed away now. Part of Watergate, very arrogant lawyer, went to prison, found Jesus. He was in a uh, high school one day, and he was walking around with the principal. And the principal was talking about how progressive they are and how they had taken down all the Ten Commandments off the walls. It wasn't necessary. But then later on, he started complaining about all the stealing that was going on. To which Chuck said, maybe you ought to put up a sign that says, thou shalt not steal. Human behavior hasn't changed at all. The book is relevant. And if you read it, it very much is truthful. But you've got to read it. So the first thing you do about making a courageous choice is do you believe in God and the second thing is do you believe that the Bible is true and then you need to read it because that's going to tell you who God really is not somebody else's opinion not what uh, the enemy may want to tell you the third part of making a courageous choice is where do I put my trust In the beginning, like I said, Joshua reminds the people about all that God has done and all the things that he has fulfilled. Can I ask you, what memories do you have of God showing his faithfulness and loving kindness to you? Boy, can I think of a lot of them. Mostly I think of this place, how he led me here in 2008. And I'm back again, and it's fantastic. I thank God for you, and I thank God that there's a lot of you out here who are strong in your faith and in what you believe, and you're not well, you're not unwilling to share that. Those are good memories. But have you ever been let down by someone or something? Have you experienced broken trust in your life? I don't know who hasn't. Perhaps, though, you might feel as if God has also done that to you. I have been there, and I usually ask the question, Why, God, why, why, why? Wrong question. The question I've learned to ask, and you've heard me say this before, is what is the opportunity? What is it, God, that you're trying to show me? Just as Joshua talked about the faithfulness of God to those people, he has been faithful to me and to you. And I want you to concentrate on those. Where has God been faithful to you? When can you get to the point where Job says, though he's slay me, yet will I serve him? Boy. The only way to do that is to read the word, talk to God, and rely on your community of believers. This is why we're here today. We're here, we will support one another, we will take care of one another, and that's the way it should be. For me, it started when I was a little boy. I did not grow up in a Christian home, it was a very dysfunctional home but I had a grandmother who read me Bible stories and kind of got me started on that and it just grew from there. I shouldn't even really be standing here in front of you because I really haven't had (laughs) had any encouragement to do that. This is in my Bible. I think I've shown it to you before. This is made by the grandmother who read me those stories. And this is a Bible that I bought in college. It was on sale. It's been used a little bit. It's falling apart. But I don't know where I would be without this. You know, you think, how did I get through some of that stuff? And you think, I did it myself. No, I didn't. It was God who was helping me. I want to go back to those three things. What do you believe about God? Do you believe there is a God? Do you know the God that's in this Bible? I mean personally, not just about him, but do you know him? He is the one who helped create these words, who gave the words to the authors, and he gave them to us to give us as a guide and to help us to know who he is and to tell you, that he loves you. Yes, he's going to discipline you. But he's always there for you. When you need forgiveness, he's there. I know Joshua talked about he will not forgive you. Well, that was a rhetorical thing because you really didn't get an enthusiastic answer from the people. He wanted them to realize who God really is. If you don't have a relationship with God God today. Or maybe your relationship has um, slipped a little. I would like to encourage you today, as Joshua told the people, to make a decision. And that is to follow Christ. If you don't know Christ, it's very simple. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do except Accept the free gift that he wants to give you because Jesus has paid the price for you long before you were born, and that's what we rely on. So the steps are this simple, and I'm going to pray a little in a little bit. Just confess to God the things you know you've done wrong to him and to others. And then trust and believe that he is the son of God and that he died and rose again and paid the price so that we could have restoration with God. And then ask for his forgiveness. He is desperately waiting for you to ask because he will not impose himself upon you. He gives you free will. You cannot have love without free will. And so you need to ask. And then ask for him to come into your life and to help you through the work of his Holy Spirit. He doesn't just ask you. He gives you the means to help you to fulfill what he's asked you to do. The Bible and the Holy Spirit. That's what's unique about the way God is. Will you pray with me, please? (coughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I pray that you would help us, Father, in our relationship with you, that for those of us who have been saved and forgiven, if we need to renew that relationship, that we would do that now. And that if someone here who doesn't have a relationship with you would confess to you the things they have done wrong ask you for forgiveness ask you to come into their lives and accept the Holy Spirit and know that you will be there and that we will be there too to support them so I pray Lord if there, if there is someone here today that they would make that decision and not put it off thank you for all that you do for loving us and dying and providing the means for restoration of a relationship with you I thank you for everything and thank you for what you will do in your name I pray amen before we um, have communion I'd like to read just one verse that I think goes along with the message and communion if I could Isaiah chapter 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages, for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance.